everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. Hey everyone, today I got to speak with a true OG in the commerce space, Francesca Hahn. She's been in the CPG world for over 20 years, working at places like Colgate Palmolive, Hills Pet Nutrition, Britax, among many others. She's now leading the charge as the Vice President of Digital Commerce and General Manager for Direct-to-Consumer at Mondelez International. If you don't instantly recognize the name Mondelez, you will recognize the many brands under them, such as Oreo, Ritz, Trident, Sour Patch Kids, the list goes on. Francesca and I talked about what it looks like to disrupt a 100-plus-year-old brand by going D2C and how they are going about experimenting with social commerce. Enjoy today's episode with Francesca Hahn. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Up Next in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. Francesca, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you. Thanks, Stephanie. Really excited to be here with you. All right. So I always like to add a personal question in the beginning so our listeners and viewers and everyone out there can get to know who Francesca is. So I was wondering, what was your first memorable job? My very first real job was in high school working for Ingalls Grocery. I was a cashier. I help stock shelves, and eventually was the person behind the, the wall helping to count the money. So I really that got the bug for consumer packaged goods, I think, from that experience. It's definitely continued on in my career. I was about to say, did you know when you were in high school, did you actually say, oh, this is something that's going to be like a lifelong journey? Or was it more, I'm just trying to make my money, go to the movies, whatever you were doing back then? I, I wanted to have fun while I was working. I would say that's definitely something I've continued on. I actually went to school for engineering originally for college and then decided that wasn't for me and ended up pivoting back to business management and and then got an MBA. So it seemed that I just came back to where it all started. So you've been in the CPG space for a while. You've worked at, let's see, Colgate, right? Hills, Pet Food. 
Is it Britax or Britax? How do you say that? Britax. Britax. Is the official okay, right I, I have those car seats. I'm like, I, I see the branding every single day and I don't know how to say it. They are the best. <laughs> they are the best for sure. They're supporting three lives in my car right now. So I can fully say they are good ones. And then fast forward to today, you're at Mondelez International. For anyone who doesn't know what that is, can you give a high level overview of what is Mondelez? Sure. What do you do there? Mondelez International is a conglomerate of, of many snacking type brands like Oreo, Ritz, as well as Sour Patch Kids, Swedish Fish. So these amazing brands. Um, we've got 10 brands that have been around over 100 years. But Mondelez is actually a newer company, only about nine years old. They split from Kraft. It was a decision to split where they went one way focused on certain type of categories and Mondelez went towards the snacking categories. And I've been with them a little bit over a year and I lead all things digital commerce for the US. So my job is to to accelerate our business online, ensure that we're building capabilities, upskilling our team, and of course, making sure that we're winning wherever we are with our products online. Awesome. And how many brands do you have? I saw, I was counting up the logos on the website and I feel like I got to 53, but then I went to a web, another one and I saw 80 and I was like, okay, I don't know how many brands this company has now. Do you know? You've done more counting than I have, to be <laughs> Took honest. Me a while. Uh, but it, it's a lot of brands and there's a lot of international brands that we may not sell in the US and vice versa, but it is a lot of brands. They're really meaningful. They've got you know a lot of deep penetration um, in the market. And, uh, and again, some of them are very much everyday brands for people. Yeah. So internally, how does Mondelez operate? I mean, how do you think about keeping the brand separate or do you start treating them all similar at a certain point or like what does it look like behind the scenes with having you know so much access into all these different kind of mini companies who have very different probably customer profiles and different ways they want to be spoken to like what does it look like to actually operate inside Mondelez? So from a brand perspective we do tend to split between what we call biscuit which is cookies and crackers and with coffee confection which is candy cough drops um, gum, etc. So that's how we pragmatically split. It's a bit of a different categories at retailers in the way they're thought about. And then um, regarding supply chain, you know, they're looking at the whole portfolio. And for my team, we look at the whole business, all the brands. Got it. Okay. So they're split within categories, but then you're still owning all of them from a high level. Is there ever a time when you make decisions though and it's kind of like, okay, this is being implemented for all of them at the same time or it does that not really happen? Yeah, I think with capabilities, they tend to work across all brands, but certainly there are activations and focus areas by that are specific to the brand. So certain brands do really well on TikTok. So we have a different agency and way of supporting those, you know, certain retailers are more focused on biscuit or on comfy. So, you know, based on that mix, we will allocate resources appropriately and how it splits out. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So the one that something I was super interested in was I saw the shift to, you know, D to C with some of the brands. I don't know if all of them have shifted there or not. So I wanted to hear first, I mean, what is your viewpoint now after everything that's happened over the past couple of years, do you think all of these brands should have you know, a D2C presence, or is it only specific ones? Like you mentioned, maybe the ones that do really well on TikTok and they have a crazy customer base like Oreo, like, of course they should be D2C where other ones shouldn't. Like what's your, you know, viewpoint on that? 
We've had a perspective that because we're sold everywhere, that to do direct to consumer, it has to truly be an extraordinary experience. It has to develop our relationship with our consumer in a different way. And, and typically we think with direct to consumer is more of a gifting way of, of coming to our shoppers, our people, our consumers. We've only gone in the US to two direct to consumer. And actually it's under my purview um, ownership from my team, which is Oreo.com and SourPatchKids.com. Oreo is a real standout. It's an incredibly premium and customized experience where you get to pick your cream, you get to pick the dip, the sprinkles, you can customize the front of it with an image that you can upload. You can actually put a message on it and then you can pick the format. Do you want four of them, a single? Do you want 12 count? So you get to pick it. It comes in a really nice, beautiful box. So that's a really premium experience. And Sour Patch Kids, where you can customize the box, you can pick two pound or five pound, and you can customize the actual variety of colors within it. Maybe you only want orange because that's your favorite color and the only kind and the, the only flavor that you want, or you want it customized to your football team or or something you know specific for a happy birthday gift. So it's still a very personalized experience, and it's very different. And then we partner on both of them with specific areas where we feel like it makes sense. Sour Patch Kid, we did an Olivia Rodrigo collaboration last year. And so it, it drove a ton of volume and organic traffic actually based off just the collaboration and, and integrating it across all of our platforms. So for the Oreo example, I mean, that one is really cool because I mean, that company has been out, you know, Oreos have been out for over 100 years, I think. I don't know. 110 years. 110 years. Okay. And so in a way, like disrupted the idea of the product to create something brand new that maybe might work, might not. Like I'm sure y'all didn't know at the time to create this like completely customizable option. I mean, what did you learn while launching that? I mean, I was reading a couple articles that it was a project that was done in a very tight time frame. I think only a couple months and yeah, they had to move quickly on it. I don't exactly remember the reason why, but that's pretty impressive to, you know, disrupt a product like that. What did you learn throughout that? And maybe what does it look like now? So we actually tested uh, and had a concept out called shop.oreo.com. And we would, I would say we failed it. So it, it didn't resonate enough. We didn't get enough traffic to it. Didn't convert. It didn't give us the KPIs that we wanted to achieve. So I actually stopped it. Okay. It's a great example of test, learn, and fail. Yeah. Oh, I love a good failure story. And that was just to buy Oreos online, right? That was just saying, hey, do people want to go and buy them directly just as they are? There was a customized pack around it. So, you okay. could, so we decided it wasn't enough just to customize the box. It needed to be more than that. So then the idea came around on the fully customized Oreo. And to your point, we scaled it really fast and the idea just worked. And frankly, great partner in how we executed it. So it's just such an amazing experience and consistent experience and how it's done. It's, there's a lot of care to it. It is also quite premium. It's $40 for a pack of 12, but it's such an amazing experience that people don't forget. It's integrated into holiday seasons, birthdays, prom proposals. I mean, we're seeing it in all kinds of areas as people are engaging with it. So we believe it works. I think there's still opportunity and, and it's still something that we're working towards more ways to personalize, more ways to have more occasions to, to utilize this really highly personalized premium experience. Well, and did you have to find a whole new 
clientele because I'm thinking about, you know, the people who maybe normally buy Oreos that are just, you know, super excited about, you know, just the taste and having a fun treat and then being like, okay, now we need to find the people who are going to pay $40 for an extra special, you know, box of Oreos. Like, how did you go about finding that new customer or was it already your current ones that you could upsell in a way? It was a little bit of both, but we did have to, we, we did end up running a lot more campaigns, um, you know, via Facebook, Instagram, so as a way to drive more people to us. We also do use the Oreo.com site for our direct consumer. So we get organic traffic of people looking for things on all Oreo in there. We sell merch as well on the site. So people wanting Oreo socks, you can also get the, the highly premium Oreo ID. Uh, so, so we're driving all traffic to the same spot and then hoping that we'll be able to convert over time. And you can imagine first-party data is a real advantage as well with having a direct-to-consumer. So we're leveraging that to continue to, to really grow our audience. Yeah. Were there any surprising insights after you started capturing you know, the first-party data when it came to maybe the consumer journey, were there any points where you're like, oh, we didn't know people did that or they were looking for this kind of thing or just anything interesting that came out of, you know, having access to data that maybe you hadn't had for, I don't know, 100 years? I mean, we're constantly learning. I think it's still early. Our consumer care talks to or is communicating with them. Mm -hmm. And so we learn things through that. We also see big orders. So we're thinking about, okay, how do we leverage and and, and maximize more big orders for our future. And I think we could do more still with understanding the innovation. Like if, if there's other thoughts on things that can be streamlined, we've definitely started putting more um, images up that we know uh, of different topics like Valentine's Day. Instead of forcing someone to actually customize it, we've learned just to to put something up there already as a placeholder and they can pick it automatically and it goes by faster. It might actually take away potential issues of people converting, getting to the end of the conversion of it. And so that's another thing that we've learned through this process. Mm, smart. Make it easier on them. Yep. Give them a template. Don't make them have to be designers. Exactly. <laughs> to, to go fast. Yep. Or if they really want that truly customized experience, they can do that too. It's up to them. Yeah. I want to shift over to, you know, your views on retail and how you guys, you know, explore working with retailers, especially with everything that's been, you know, going on. And I know your digital sales have jumped tremendously over the past couple of years. And so I want to hear like, what is your viewpoint on retail and how are you approaching that going forward? You know, my objective with my team is having this seamless integrated brand experience everywhere our brand is. And that's what we've been working towards. You can imagine for our products, Omnichannel is the big piece of the business. And that hardly existed before the pandemic. Uh, so that's really exploded. We tend to partner with all of our retailers in some way or form, but we also use rubrics, like ways of kind of seeing where, where are they in their journey to determine how we lean in. I do believe that, yes, we need to have a very nice seamless integrated experience with our brand. brand needs to show up looking very consistent wherever shoppers want to buy our products. But as well as we need to lean in with retailers so that we can be good partners and lean in with what's special about them. If not, it's all the same. So I feel that that's a really important piece in terms of the retail environment. What's it mean to be a good partner? You mentioned that a couple of times. And I'm like, everyone could say they're a good partner, baby. But how do you really make sure you're a good partner with these retailers? Yeah, I, I we really, our goal is to be an indispensable partner 
with retailers. And we do that in a lot of ways. I mean, we're big brands. We're really important to them and they're really important to us. So it's all parts of the business. It's about communication, about trust, about doing what we say. And then the same from them as well as giving us feedback and being transparent so that we can be partners and grow together. Joint business planning is kind of a common way of of where we have uh, aligned KPIs or goals that we want to aim towards. And then we we put roadmaps in place over years. And I think that that builds stronger partnerships that are really important for the companies. And we can we can bet on each other and and grow. From my role specifically, I I love to interact with the digital commerce, the lead of e-commerce, or even the senior SVPs of of buying because things are so transformational right now and we need to be talking and partnering on where they're going so we can be ready or we can also give guidance. We have insights on our categories and how people are actually converting and behaving online so that we can give some guidance and, and help or, um, or point them on what we would suggest is the best way to do it. I say partnering too. Early in my career, I was in category management. So it was definitely in category management, like this consultant to the retailer um, trying to help and, and grow the category with the goal that you know, you're going to grow if the category grows automatically. That's, that's good partnership. And I still think the same way really day to day when I'm working with all these retailers. Yeah. So when it comes to investments, investing in commerce, especially over the past two years, what are maybe some of your favorite investments that you either think you're going to have a really big ROI or you already have and you're like, wow, that's really surprising. I didn't think it would be that great. It can be anything around, you know, it could be a commerce platform. It can be a tool. It can be anything that you're most, you or your team are most excited about. Return on investment is an interesting thing in general. Um, we do measure that. That's an important piece and it actually unlocks dollars in our organization as well. So we try to measure everything we can. And from an investment perspective, I find still the biggest ROI for digital commerce is the fundamental things. And there's unlimited fundamentals. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about all the brands that we have, there's always something to be done. I asked my team to spend about 10% of time on test and learns because we don't know what the next thing is. And there are some things that really were not big two to three years ago and now are huge. For example, last milers and, and or the quick commerce uh, platforms are huge versus what two or three years ago were. And I'm really glad that we were early partners with them because it enabled us to come through the pandemic in a better way and make sure that our products were available to whoever's looking for them. And those are tending to, whenever we put effort investment into them, they do tend to provide us a good ROI. And I think it's based also on the power of our brands. Yep. Oh, I like that. 10% test and learn. Okay. So what are you all testing in right now? Are you testing for Oreo, NFTs with designs on there, getting in the metaverse? Like what crazy things are, is your team looking into? You're pretty crazy uh, with your, <laughs> yeah, those are good ones. I, I think for us, we focus on more, still the f- more fundamental things okay. like e-packs, like what's the right e-pack on Amazon? So an e-pack is a custom pack that's more made for e-commerce. Okay. And that's not exactly an easy thing in a company as big as Mondelez to make custom packs for just e-commerce selling. So that's that's definitely one. In the 10% space, we are testing with new platforms. Okay. So we're looking at new places to spend 
seeing if it it has returns. The positive is, is as since we're more consumables food, we're a little bit behind the e-commerce curve versus pet food versus beauty. So we leverage agency partners. So typically when we lean in with like, we did a Twitch collaboration and with DoorDash. So, you know, we see really good returns versus that. It's it's actually massive returns um, when, when we do things like that. So, but it's based on also the agencies are referencing other things that they believe um, from other categories would make sense for us as well. And, and having really good agency partners is key in the e-commerce space as well. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. Oh, Twitch and DoorDash. That's super interesting. I mean, was that a one-time thing or are you guys going to be doing more partnerships like that? Because that does seem like the perfect model. You've got all these gamers or whatever they're doing on that platform and they're all probably hungry and want great snacks. So that's like such a great partnership. Are you keeping that up? Yeah, I think we'll do it in different ways. Uh, it was interesting. We we also had the gamers competing against each other in the name of different brands. Oh, fun. So Chips Ahoy was a brand. Oreo is a brand. Sour Patch Kids is a brand. So they were also competing against each other. So it was a nice angle. And then they were promoting DoorDash to go convert. So it had a nice sales opportunity as well, which I love. And I think that's also a piece where we're more and more trying to bring people down the funnel, meaning that, you know, we're trying to get them closer to buying versus just doing brand awareness. Um, so that's another piece that we're testing. Social commerce is, is, is got unlimited ways yeah. to activate. That's kind of what I consider Twitch and DoorDash collaboration is there's so many ways to, to try to do this. And, um, you know, TikTok's exposed now that you can shop on there. We haven't done anything yet, but I think it's really interesting to watch considering we've got about 1.5 million followers on Oreo. Oh, wow. And uh, what can you do with that? Yeah. It's really exciting. Yeah. Tons of opportunity there for Oreo. I was thinking that's the best brand to be on there. How do you think about designing an experience? If I think about Twitch, and I will be the first to say I've never even been on there, so I don't know. But how do you think about designing something where there's so many competing priorities where it's like you're probably playing some game, you're doing something else, you're talking to someone. Anyone listening to probably like Steph obviously has not been on Twitch before because that's not what you do. But how do you think about designing it for conversion? Like you mentioned, brand awareness is not as, you know, that's not what you're solely focusing on anymore. And that's also very hard to measure. So how did you design it to make sure, how did your team design it to make sure that like you guys would have conversions, you know, at the end of that? We think of it as the pre, the during and the after. And and so if you, you have to do a lot of pre-announcing, pre-seeding, telling people that this is coming and because I have a 12-year-old. Okay, you I know. I also them. know, yes, he's big into all these things, um, into Roblox, into mm-hmm. Twitch and YouTube. So they do plan for events in front of them. So they'll, they'll know that there's a big activity happening and it runs for several hours. So there's ways to grab people through that experience. So it, it works. Again, you know, we all testing and learning here. So we did have a bit of a topics of what we needed to do in the future, but um, there's always ways to improve in any activity. 
but it was a good learning experience. I'm sure we'll do more things there and in collaboration. The great thing with DoorDash is you can convert it just about anywhere. Um, so that's the beauty of that. Um, there aren't that many last miler partners as well that you can actually convert so easily, um, which was kind of an interesting way to go about it. Yeah. Are there any crazy ideas that you've heard around social commerce right now that your team is thinking of that you're like, I don't know if that'll pay off, but if it did, that would be massive. I'm thinking about now your son, what's he up to? He probably knows what's the next big thing. You just need him as you're to study him. My son um, is really, is, he's also smart because he, I mean, he brought up by me, of course, right? He, uh, he's got this business mind. He hears what we talk about at the table. And so I'll ask questions and, and he has more now knows what I'm going to ask. And, and he'll talk to me about there's now a Gucci game that you or or world that you can go play in. Um, so he's talking, yeah, he's noticing brands now mm-hmm. and, and reaching out uh, and, and letting me know about these things. And um, so you never know. Yeah. You, you never know what's going to I've actually had quite a few guests come on, talk about, you know, they watch what their kids do in these different yes. spaces and that's how they have you know, different campaign ideas. And I mean, it is interesting thinking about the younger generation knowing about, you know, brands. When I was 12, I would not have known about Gucci probably. I was, I don't know, shopping somewhere different, definitely not Gucci or even thinking about that. But it's a very interesting thought now, like how do you, you know, get into their spaces to figure out like what's actually connecting with them. And then as a brand, how do you develop a game that a 12 year old will want to play? I mean, why would I want to go into the world of Gucci? I don't know, what are they doing in there? Now I kind of want to go see and think about how to do that for other brands too. One suggestion, and, and not in this exact example, but we've done it with agency partners and on our own is we do empathy sessions mm-hmm. where we bring somebody on or a couple people and we give them a few things to talk about, a few, and then we seed them with some questions and we, we go through it and then the people can ask questions. Our people at the company can ask them questions. We did a session with last milers last year because you know the business was growing so fast and we wanted to learn from the shoppers that are the ones that are actually in the store and what do they notice what are the what are their issues and we had a, a a guy who was 18 we had a shopper who was in his 50s and we had a woman who's a teacher who did it part-time at night and uh, and getting the variety of the experiences because for us it would it translated to how do we enable easier shopping for them. Especially if you're 18 and you don't know really how to pick yeah. produce and not, not that that matters for Mondelez, but it, you know, we were talking about all the different challenges if you're not really a, a core shopper. So that was really interesting to learn and, and also the power of actually giving them a five-star review versus a four-star review and how important, I would never have known that. But, um, but again, helping enable make their lives easier was interesting. Yeah, do that. So empathy sessions is a great way to to really learn and get and even not our real end consumer, but even the last miler shopper was really interesting for us. Oh, yeah. That makes me think, would you then take that information and try and design a different experience for them based off of that, you know, data? If you're 18, you probably just need something on your phone saying go straight to the left and here you go versus someone who, you know, has been around the block shopping since they were 18. They're like, I don't really need directions. I can see the bread aisles over here. The learning for us is it helped us to be stronger partners with the retailers and talk about what we heard. Again, it was it was really only three people that we talked to, but it was really interesting learnings. And we also have Instacart shoppers who work now for our retail teams 
in the stores. And so I also always quiz them for, you know, what is the learnings? What are the challenges? And, and certain retailers actually planogram their store, their products into the last mile or apps. So that integration does make it a lot easier. Also, the shoppers love to go into Aldi because Aldi's so small and it's, you know, pretty easy to get in and out. So that's another learning and why maybe Aldi's potentially is becoming a higher percentage of the business is that the shoppers actually prefer to go there. And, um, and also, by the way, it's more economical, you know, as in the environment that we're in right now too. So some things to think about and again, gives you more knowledge is power and, and you can be, you know, stronger partners with the retailers. Yep. Love it. All right. The last question I have is I want to hear from you. What are you most excited about over the next year? It can be about Mondelez. It can be about whatever Francesca's up to personally, wherever you want to take it's fair game. I'm most excited about the journey to really educating and upscaling the whole organization. I mean, I've with Omnichannel being where we're selling most of our products now, it's so important that all the functions understand and can help engage and actually help us overall with the business. And, uh, and every time we talk to a new function, they, they get super excited. Mostly they're shoppers anyway, so they, they get it. But then them being empowered to help, it's like they felt like it was a, um, a black hole that they didn't understand at all. It's this thing sitting over the side, digital commerce. I'm like, no, 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 it's real. It's easy. We actually have an E and e-commerce is for everyone. So everyone can do it. It's not that overwhelming. And we, we do a lot of you know, similarities to in the aisle versus digital aisle, just making it, breaking it down so it's super easy to understand. And, uh, and they actually find a lot of purpose. I, I even work with people that are in data services and how the importance of making sure that the data is correct and how it will flow in the content all the way down into what you see online. And you just see their eyes light up. They want to know how they can help. And I just go, the more people I can get to with my team, the better, because then we're going to just be that more powerful in everywhere we are with our products. Yeah. What does upskilling look like for an org of your size? I mean, how do you get the information out there, teach people about what's happening? I mean, I'm sure things are moving so quickly that the time you, you know, the moment you develop an SOP or something, it's like already probably, you know, not even relevant anymore. So how do you... We do have a, a framework, which I don't think changes very much over time in the the assortment, availability, yep. the content, the search, the activations. Those are all somewhat consistent. And I think that that's easy. In terms of the how do we get them, we've got some key functional trainings to that goes to different groups. We also have created a champions network that helps even customize more. They become the thought leaders sitting out in all these teams helping. And of course, that gets me more people exposed who get deeper learning and then they're helping to talk it. Um, we, we have a lot of different ways to engage. We've got our own internal webpage where people can come and get training or get resources. So we're trying to hit everyone in different ways. And, uh, and we even have at Mondelez Purpose Day. So we always bring some content through that, talking about why it's so important. So there's a lot of different ways to engage. What's great is there's a strategy at the top that we need to be doing this. We know this is where all the growth is coming from, is mostly in the digital commerce space. So you know we all, event, all really want to help drive our stock price and help drive sales. So everyone engages 
And then once they understand, then they, then they're all in. Yep. That's awesome. All right. Let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready? Yes. All right. First one. What are you listening to in the podcast world other than Up Next in Commerce? Of course, Up Next in Commerce. Uh, I do like Brave Commerce, mm-hmm. which are 20 minutes um, and they they really emphasize courage. And I like the CPG guys. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that they're anti-acronym, which is great for people that are still learning. That's how I learned e-commerce is via podcasts. Yep. To yeah. be frank. That's great. I love that. What do you wish you understood better? I will say the NFTs. Yeah, that is a crazy world right now. <laughs> and how to really integrate that into your daily business. Like I said, I'm hoping for an Oreo NFT coming soon, limited edition with my own face on it. And I'll be the only one who wants it probably. <laughs> All right, last but not least, if you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? My podcast would be about leadership lessons for female leaders that will help empower them to be their best self and stop worrying about what other people are thinking about them or what they could what could be happening hmm. outside. I love that. Do you have a favorite past boss or leader that you would have as your first guest? I had a boss who hired me into Colgate Palmolive who continues to be my mentor. And he has always been connected to me and always wanted the best. He ended up being my manager twice. So he recruited me back into another role and just saw him a couple of weeks ago. And it's just such a consistent relationship and highly appreciated. Amazing. All right, Francesca, thank you so much for coming on and joining the show. Where can people learn more about you and what you're up to at Mondelez? Thanks, Stephanie, for having me. Really appreciate it. I can be found on LinkedIn under Francesca Hahn. And I am constantly liking and I'm on LinkedIn all the time. So please do follow me there. Awesome. Thanks so much. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.